You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. We can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today's fic is Have Love, Will Travel by Squee Monster, chapters 3 and 4. The rating for this fic is explicit. Pertinent tags for this fic include Recluse Castiel, Exotic Dancer Dean, Past Trauma, Mental Health Issues, Lap sex, lap dances, fraudage, face fucking, blowjobs, anal sex. Chapter 3. Dean Winchester is having a shitty, no-good kind of day, but he supposes that's par for the course of his life. It begins with oversleeping by half an hour, as he'd forgotten to set his alarm before dropping into bed at 4 a.m. the night before. He'd had a horrible night at the club. Bad tippers and a beer-bellied redneck closet case dude who got so handsy in the VIP room that he'd had to yell for Gordon to come in and haul the asshole out. Dean always hates having to call for Gordon, much preferring to take care of douchebags himself. But it's not so easy to do that when all you're wearing is a G-string with half your junk hanging out. Once he cracks his sleep-crusty eyes open and notices it's five minutes before he's supposed to be at the garage, Dean jumps out of bed, cussing to himself as he struggles to pull on jeans, a t-shirt, and boots all at the same time. He passes on shaving and brushing his teeth, pausing to squeeze some toothpaste into his mouth to slosh around and freshen his breath as he's running out the door. Pouring rain greets him when he steps out of his apartment, and as he's running to his car, he manages to step in not one, but three giant puddles soaking his boots and pant legs almost up to the knees. He slams the door of his sad little Ford Escort, jamming the key into the ignition and turning it aggressively, eyes going wide as nothing happens. He tries again and again, squeezes a dry wheeze out of the car on the last try, but it still fails to start. Fuck! Dean barks up at his own reflection in the rearview mirror before pounding his forehead against the steering wheel. He opens the car door and steps back out onto the street, spares a look at his duplex, and considers going back inside and calling in sick for the day, 
crawling back under the covers and forgetting any of the past five minutes ever happened. But he needs the money, and he needs not to piss his boss off. So instead, he begins the two-mile jog to the garage, wishing like hell the rain would stop, or lessen, or fucking warm up a little, until he at least makes it to work. About twenty minutes later, he arrives at the garage, soaked to the bone and shivering. He bypasses the office and walks straight into the garage through the open roll-up door, ignoring the looks the two other mechanics shoot him as he steps into the grimy bathroom. He uses paper towels to dry himself off the best he can, but the cheap material only manages to break off into tiny pieces so Dean has to spend another couple minutes trying to pick out tiny balls of paper stuck in his hair. He gives up as he realizes he's only going to make it worse, pulls open the bathroom door and is immediately faced with his boss, standing just outside the door, arms folded across his chest. What the hell happened to you, boy? You look like death done paid you a visit and found you lacking. Dean swipes a hand across his face. Bobby, I'm sorry. I overslept and then my car wouldn't start, so I had to run here in the rain. And I'll work through lunch to make it up to you, I promise. The older man rolls his eyes and scoffs, leaning back against the car behind him. Your car wouldn't start? You happen to think, oh gee, I work for a mechanic? Maybe he can come pick me up in his tow truck and tow my car in? Uh, no, Dean mutters wondering if Bobby ever regrets hiring him on, given how stupid he makes himself look almost every single shift. Bobby sighs. I'll send Terry over to your place to get it before lunch. What's wrong with it this time? Shaking his head, Dean replies, I don't know. I just put a new battery in it a few months ago, so it shouldn't be that. Well, we'll get her and take a look at her, I guess. Bobby pauses to give Dean a once-over, and Dean fidgets under the man's scrutiny. You look like about five different kinds of horse shit, son. When's the last time you had a decent night of sleep? Dean shrugs, doing his best not to make eye contact. He's not used to people asking how he's doing, and no matter how many times Bobby seems to take an interest, he can't quite figure out how to respond. He's always eager to please others and he knows Bobby won't be happy if he tells him the truth, that no, he's not getting much sleep, and yes, he's only just barely managing to hold it together on most days. But at the same time, he knows Bobby won't tolerate lying. I don't know. It wasn't last night, I know that much. He glances up quickly before staring back down at his feet. He wants to walk away, to get started on work for the morning, but out of respect, he waits to be dismissed. He can feel Bobby's stare fixed on him still, wonders if he didn't say the right thing, but doesn't offer up anything else. You had breakfast yet? Dean shakes his head in the negative. Well, as a matter of fact, neither have I, the old man says, and I'm in the mood for a Mickey D's artery buster, so will you say me and you make a run for it while these idiots stand around with their thumbs up their asses? Dean is hungry. In fact, he's starving, having not eaten since lunch yesterday. But he's not so sure he wants to go with Bobby, 
sit across the table from him and let him watch him and list all the things he's doing wrong with his job and his life. Bobby's never done that to him in the several years that he's worked for him. But Dean learned early in life that everyone's just waiting to tell him how much of a waste of space and fuck-up he really is. Just because Bobby's never had any opportunity to do so yet doesn't mean he won't. He meets Bobby's gaze and nods anyway. Yeah, sure, I guess I could do with some breakfast. He tenses when Bobby puts a hand on his shoulder, but relaxes somewhat as he feels Bobby's fingers squeeze in reassurance. The old man leads the way to the back door and to his beat-up pickup parked under a carport out back. As they climb up into the truck, Bobby remarks gruffly, I wish you'd let me help you start rebuilding that Impala of yours. You keep making her sit there all tore up and not fixing her, a damn shame waste of space. You know I can't afford it right now. I can't afford the parts and I can't afford to spend the time on it, Dean says, staring out the passenger window. That's what I'm saying, Dean, Bobby tells him. Gentler now. Let me help you pay for it. You can pay me back over time. Hill, we'll take us some before and after pictures and the good advertising alone will help pay for it. This will be a good way to finally get a foot in the restoration business. Dean looks over at Bobby, and he can feel the surprise etched on his face. He wasn't expecting Bobby to offer to help pay for it, even if it's just to loan him the money. Bobby has done so much for him already, and Dean feels he'll never be able to repay him for the kindness he's bestowed. He's torn between feeling so grateful and just damn happy to have someone reaching out to him like this, and suspicious, not wanting to allow himself to trust it. The one thing he's learned over the years is to never trust anyone, no one but Sammy. But Bobby has never been anything but open with Dean, never anything but fair, and Dean has always tried to give Bobby the respect he deserves. What the old man doesn't know, though, is that Dean has reasons other than money and time for not wanting to get started on restoring the Impala. There's just so many memories there, memories that he's not ready to face right now. He can't afford to lose his shit, not now, when he's finally starting to get his shit together. He gives Bobby the side eye, reaching to fasten his seatbelt. Yeah, I'll think about it. Thanks. Bobby sighs and turns the key to the ignition. Yeah, I'm sure you will, he snorts. Breakfast with Bobby is thankfully lacking in heart-to-heart talks, Bobby choosing instead to discuss what tasks they have on the docket for the day. Once they get back to the shop, Dean immerses himself in work, taking comfort in feeling needed and good at something. The rest of the day passes by quickly, and Dean is surprised to find that it's five o'clock already. He hops into the driver's seat of the ancient Corolla that Bobby insisted on lending him until they can get his clunker up and running. After rushing home, taking a shower, a quick nap, and scarfing down a sandwich for supper, Dean gets back into the car to drive into the club. It's Friday night, what's typically one of the busiest nights of the week for the club. 
and Dean starts to get the usual jitters he gets before each shift. He's only been doing this for a few short months, and he's still having trouble getting used to it. He's definitely no stranger to people admiring his looks. He learned early on to use it to his advantage. But it's one thing to flirt to get what he wants from someone, and a totally different ballgame to take off your clothes for money. There's no subterfuge anymore, no more pretending that this isn't what it really is. It's definitely better than whoring himself out, but he is still hesitant to mention to any of his co-workers at the garage what his second job is. Thing about it, though, is that Dean is good at this job. Scratch that, he's fucking fantastic at this job. He's not the best dancer, not by a long shot, but he realized early on that what he lacks in dance skills can be hidden with cockiness and attitude. All this is, is him playing a part, pretending to be whatever character of whatever costume he's wearing that night. And he spent the better part of the last ten years perfecting his skill at playing the part, trying his damnedest to be whatever the hell it is people need him to be. After dressing up in a Navy officer's uniform, he sits back on the couch in the dressing room, relaxing with his eyes closed as he waits for his turn to go up on stage. He's just about to fall asleep when he hears the beginnings of a Kansas song blaring from his duffel bag in his locker. He jumps up and trots over to the row of lockers, pulling his cell phone out of the bag. He smiles when he sees the caller ID. Hey, Sammy, how's it going, ass munch? Ew, Dean, that's disgusting. Dean chuckles as he hears Sam sigh across the phone. He loves grossing his little brother out, especially given how easy it is to do. So what's up, big man? He continues. I didn't plan on hearing from you until the morning. What time are we meeting up? Please don't say 6 a.m. again. I love you, dude, but I don't 6 a.m. love you. There's staticky silence for several seconds before Sam mumbles. Dean, that's why I'm calling. I can't meet up with you tomorrow. Dean sits down, not speaking until he can get his voice under control. Why not? He finally manages to croak. Because stupid Shirley wants to go visit her stupid cousin in stupid Ellsworth, and she's going to spend the night there, so I have to go with her. What? Dean explodes before he can help himself. What about your family, huh? Is you getting to see your brother not as important as that fucking bitch getting to see her asshole cousin? Dean, calm down. I'm pissed too, you know, and... You could spend the night with me, and she could come by and pick you up as soon as she got back into town. Sam sighs. You know that's against the rules. I can't. I don't want to get into any trouble, and I know Shirley doesn't want to risk messing up her precious foster care allowance, so there's no way she'd let me. Damn it, Sammy. Dean punches the locker, his knuckles splitting open and bleeding. He stares at the tiny droplets of blood making their way from the cut across his skin and absurdly wonders if the audience would find it sexy to have their dancer bleeding on stage. Dean, I'm sorry. I was so scared to tell you because I didn't want to make you sad and all. And I'm so pissed that Shirley always picks the one day a week and I look forward to to do something that'll ruin everything. Dean's heart breaks a little deeper as he listens to his little brother's voice crack. The poor kid obviously just as upset as he is. 
And here Dean is being so fucking selfish, thinking about how much this hurts him, when Sammy is sitting there feeling the brunt of it all. He reins back his irritation, tries not to let his brother hear how his voice is wavering. Hey, Sammy, hey, it's gonna be okay, all right? He soothes. This sucks, but we'll get to see each other next Saturday, yeah? Maybe you can use the extra time to try to learn not to suck so much at shooting hoops. Give me a run for my money for a change. Shut up. I totally almost beat you last week, Sam protests, and Dean smiles at the indignation in his voice. So, uh, how's school going? He broaches. Made any teachers cry lately? Sam huffs at him. Dean, I never made Mrs. Ainsworth cry, but even if I did, she totally deserved it. She embarrassed herself for insisting the CDC would have the zombie outbreak under control within a week. I mean, it's obvious that the CDC's ways of communicating with the public are outdated and naive at best. Dude, you do realize that zombies aren't real, right? Yeah, you say that now, but we'll see who you'll be running to screaming like a Bieber fan when the zombie shit starts hitting the fan. Dean leans back and laughs. <laughs> and ew, when did you start talking like me? Guess it's only a matter of time before some of your grosser characteristics start rubbing off on me. Sam chuckles. Yeah, too bad my good looks can't rub off on you, too. Bite me. No way. You might think I'm a zombie and chop my head off, you freak. Dean smirks as he imagines the bitch face Sam must be sporting, as he stares at the ceiling as he listens to his little brother recount the happenings of his week in school wishing like hell they could be talking face to face. Once Dean is finished with his routine on stage, he makes his way back to the dressing room to relax for a few minutes before he has to start with the private dances. A part of him really wishes he had no VIP customers tonight. It's been a rough day, and the phone call with Sam has left him emotionally drained and moody. The last thing he wants is to put on a smile and dance and try to be somebody's fantasy, letting them pall and drool all over him, while deep down he just wants to go home, chug down a six-pack and brood himself to sleep. The one good thing about tonight is that Gordon called in sick, which means Dean doesn't have to deal with the man's smug-ass attitude and not-so-subtle hints at calling Dean a whore. If he didn't have to worry about losing his job, he'd have punched that shit-eating grin off the dude's face long ago. In his place is Ash, a weedy, weird little guy sporting a mullet and an attitude straight out of dazed and confused. Despite himself, Dean kind of likes the dope head, especially when he starts going on one of his conspiracy theory rants. Dean never knew there were people out there who thought the government could control the weather until he sat down and listened to one of Ash's tangents a few weeks ago. Ash stumbles into the dressing room a half hour after Dean settles in to give him and the three other dancers doing VIP tonight a lowdown of the clientele for the evening. Dean snorts as Casey bitches to one of the waitresses on break about one of her regulars asking her to call him Big Daddy. Slits one eye open as Ash calls out to him. 
Mr. Tyler Page, you got three customers on tap for you this evening. The first is a lovely young blonde lady who claims she's wanted to find a dancer for her friend's bachelorette party. They always are, Casey pipes in from her corner. The second is your monthly visit from Kevin, your corn-fed, Bible-thumping admirer, wanting you to remind him of his sinful ways so he can jack off and slink back home in shame again. They always do, Casey says, and Dean spares a moment to throw a pin at her, smiling as she laughs and dodges it. And the third is some dude I haven't seen before, wearing a Columbo trench coat and intense as hell. Oh, Ava exclaims. I bet it's that guy that's always sitting in check section. He freaks me out. One time, I was working check section because I got here late, and I came over to his table and introduced myself, and he just stared at me and said, You're not Chuck. And I was all, Uh, no, I'm Ava. And he was all, Chuck will be my server. And his face was all stony and shit, and then he wouldn't even look at me, so I was like, Fuck you, dude. Except that I didn't say that because I didn't want him bitching to Crowley about me. So then I got Chuck to take over the table. What a weirdo. Dean scrubs his face with his hands as he listens to the ditzy girl run off at the mouth. Once she pauses to take a breath, he butts in. You know, the dude's not so bad. He's just got a little rain man in him, that's all. Uh-oh, Dino. Sounds like you've got yourself a little crush on Mr. Stiffy. Lilith, one of the other dancers and the creepiest bitch Dean's ever met, sneers as she applies glitter to a chest. Better watch yourself. Make sure Crowley doesn't hear about it. You know how he feels about us bumping uglies with the money. No, I just don't like people ragging on my customers is all. Dean mumbles as he heads into the hall. He takes a deep breath, places his white cap onto his head, and plasters on his sexiest smirk before opening the door to the room and the waiting customer inside. An hour later, Dean has his back to the door when he hears it open, signaling that his last customer of the night, Mr. Tax Accountant Dude, is entering. Dean turns to face him, not having to fake the smile to greet the man. But what greets him back makes his eyes go wide with shock before bursting out laughing. Looks like the rain started back. That or we need to get our sprinkler system worked on in the club. The man scowls at him before moving to sit down in the chair in front of him, dropping his drenched coat on the floor. The meteorologist claimed that the rain had passed, therefore I didn't bother to bring an umbrella with me. And since the parking situation here is less than to be desired, I was forced to park three blocks away. Unfortunately, I realized half an hour ago that I left my wallet in the car, so I had to run back out into the rain to retrieve it. Dean tries his best to stop smiling, but he just can't. The worst of the water seems to have been wrung out of Trenchcoat's clothes while he waited, but his dress shirt is still sticking to his chest and arms in odd places. Dean had never noticed how well-built this guy was before, but now the coat is gone and the cotton shirt is clean in all the right places, making his broad shoulders and chest and long, lean arms more obvious. 
the way his pants are clinging damply to his thighs suggests that they're muscular and ripped as well. So maybe not the typical geeky tax accountant, then. The man's hair is plastered to his forehead, giving him the appearance of a drowned kitten, especially with those startlingly blue eyes staring up at Dean in dismay. Quite frankly, he makes an adorable picture, and Dean decides to give up trying to wipe the goofy smile off his face. He can't help it. The dude just brings it out of him. As he's staring up at Dean, the man narrows his eyes and tilts his head. Why are you smiling at me like that? Because I think I must have looked a lot like you this morning, Dean tells him as he chuckles ruefully at the memory of his own black mood after his soaking. I got caught out in a downpour, too, and had to run two miles to work in it. He steps over to the cabinets lining the wall behind him, reaching inside to pull out a towel. He takes the few steps back to the man and is about to hand the towel to him, but at the last second he raises it to the man's head. He feels the man go very still as he begins to rub the towel over his head, drying what's left of the rainwater out of his hair. He massages his scalp for several minutes before pulling the towel back over his forehead. He meets the man's gaze, and they stare at one another for several long seconds before Dean pulls the towel all the way off his head, running his fingers back through his hair to pull his bangs off his forehead. He lets his thumb make one last slow swipe across the man's brow before clearing his throat and turning away. So, uh, what kind of dance are you in the mood for tonight? He kicks himself as he hears his voice shake a bit, hoping the man didn't notice. He is way too tired to be doing this shit tonight. He's letting every little thing get to him. When he's greeted with silence, he looks over his shoulder to see the man opening and closing his mouth, trying to say something but not quite able. Come on, dude, spit it out. There's no shame here. Dean smirks. I, um, can we just talk? The man says, his eyes focused on the floor. I've had a very trying day and I have no one else to talk to, really. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not really in the mood for something fake tonight. Dean watches him for a second or two, and truthfully, he isn't quite sure what to make of that request. But there's just something about this guy. And Dean exhales slowly as he comes to a decision, turns to walk across the room, and grab a stacking chair that was leaning against the wall. He unfolds it and sets it in front of the man, straddling it so he can lean his arms against the back. Well, if we're going to bare our souls here, I think I should at least know your name first. The man raises his eyes, meeting Dean's gaze. My name is Castiel. Dean can feel his eyes widen. Castiel? What kind of name is that? A small smile plays across Castiel's lips. It's the name of an angel. The angel of Thursday, the day I was born on. My parents, or rather my mother, was very interested in angels, and she named all her children after them. All? Dean fishes. You got a big family? The man, Castiel, Dean corrects himself, nods. There's three others besides myself. Michael, he's the eldest. Then Nil, my sister, but we usually call her Anna. 
and Gabriel. I'm the youngest. So if you got three brothers and sisters, how is it that you don't have anyone to talk to? Dean wonders. I've got a little brother, and I don't like unloading too much on him since he's younger, and I'm supposed to be taking care of him and shit. But still, I know he's there if I need to talk. Castiel takes a deep breath. I'm not close with Michael at all. Anna lives in an artist commune in South America somewhere, last I heard. I forget where. We haven't spoken in years. And Gabriel is currently in Sweden, I believe, on business. He and I are fairly close, but he's away so often that we only get to see each other a few times a year. So why didn't you call him? I imagine a fancy businessman would have a pretty decent cell phone plan. Dean jokes. Castiel grimaces. Because he's partly the reason why my day was so horrible. Dean raises his eyebrows at that news. Ah, alrighty then. Hit me with it. I'm sorry. Castiel stares at him with confusion written across his face. Fill me in on why your day was so shitty. Dean smiles encouragingly. Oh, well it began with a phone call from my editor. She gave me some rather bad news. I was hoping my publisher would give me six months to begin writing the next book in my series. You're a writer? Dean interjects, and he doesn't even care that he sounds a little awestruck. Man, that is something. Castiel nods and keeps going. So that I could work on another idea I've had inspiration for. But after meeting with her supervisor, they've agreed to only give me three months. After that, if I fail to turn in chapters for my series, I'll be sued for breach of contract. Dean props his chin on his forearm. So what's this book series about? The one you're sick of writing? I'm not sick of writing it per se, Castiel says. I just, I feel I'm not going in the right direction with it. It feels like I'm forcing it. He pauses, glance moving across the room, deep in thought. The series is about the angels fighting a war in heaven, a war between heaven and hell. It's inspired by my mother's love of angel mythology. I would read about them, the angels. I began making up stories of my own for them, gave them each their own personalities and desires, their own whims and weaknesses and needs. It was a hobby, really. But you took your hobby and turned it into a career, Dean echoes him. And for a second, he drifts back to Bobby's kindly face lecturing him about the Impala. That's pretty amazing. Castiel colors self-consciously. In college, I started writing the stories down. I spent all my free time doing it instead of going to parties and making friends. They were my friends, I suppose, and writing the stories down gave them life and purpose. He stops, gives Dean a shy grin. You don't really want to hear all this. Dean shakes his head, insistent. No, I do, I do. How did you turn it into proper writing? Books? After a sloppy little half-shrug, Castiel says, I thought, why not send out a manuscript? And 15 publishers later, I had a book deal. He grimaces, or I sold my soul to the devil, depending on your point of view. In the current installment I'm supposed to be writing, the angel's war has made its way to Earth, wreaking havoc upon the planet. Dean's mind is filled for a moment with visions of armor-clad, sword-wielding angels, 
wings spread out. Warriors of God, he breathes. Huh. Doesn't sound like Michael Landon, that's for sure. Sounds kind of cool, actually. Why don't you feel inspired anymore? Castiel throws up his hands. Because I don't care about the angels anymore. They're cold, soulless, and heartless beings, without remorse for the carnage they are bringing upon the humans. How am I supposed to write a compelling story when I'm disgusted by my heroes? Castiel's eyebrows knit together in frustration and worry. They sit in silence for many minutes, Dean chewing on his lip as he watches the man in front of him. So what if you change it up then, he suggests. Castiel looks at him, head tilted again. What do you mean? You said they don't give a shit about the humans, right? So what if they do give a shit? Or what if, say, one of them meets a human and becomes friends with them? Learns that, hey, humans ain't so bad, maybe we shouldn't destroy their world, or something. He spares a glance at Castiel to see if he's looking at him like an idiot, but instead the man seems intrigued. Go on, he says. Well, what if that one angel goes against all the other angels to try to stop them and save the world? That'd be kind of badass, wouldn't it? And that way, it wouldn't just be about heaven and hell. It'd be about the battle against heaven and hell to save the humans. Dean shrugs, looking to Castiel to see if he approves or if he thinks Dean is full of shit. The look on the other man's face is one of astonishment. I, Tyler, that's brilliant. I, I don't know what to say. In the span of five minutes, I think you've broken through a writer's block that has plagued me for months. He leans forward, plants his elbows on his knees, and his eyes glow brightly. Would you mind if I used your idea? I would credit you, of course, and I I don't know how to go about compensation for it, but I would definitely. Dean waves it off. Nah, don't worry about it. If the idea works for you, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It wasn't really my idea. I was just showing you a different way to look at it. His voice fades a little because he's feeling embarrassed by how intensely Castiel is staring at him, which is fucking ridiculous given his job and the reason he's in this room right now. But he's not used to someone looking at him like he's got something important to say, like his thoughts are worth hearing. It leaves him feeling nervous and like he's under a microscope way more than being on stage naked does. All right, then but you really have no idea how much you've helped me. The sincerity behind the words leaves Dean feeling a little awkward, so he changes the subject as quickly as he can. So, uh, what else happened to make your day so horrible? Castiel's face falls, and he leans back into his chair, looking away. Oh, my father called me and we fought. Dean winces in sympathy. That sucks. But hey, sons fight with their dads all the time, right? It was the first time we'd spoken to each other in almost six years. Whistling, Dean says, Whoa, dude, that's rough. What was the fight about? Castiel pinches the bridge of his nose with his fingers. He was berating me for not joining the family business. My family has been in international finance since many years before I was born. He doesn't approve of my career or my lifestyle. Your lifestyle? What, that you're into dudes? Dean scoffs. No, that I, um, I don't leave my home very much. 
Dean watches as Castiel glances at him out of the corner of his eye, shifting uncomfortably in his seat. Why would that bug him? He inquires. Your social life is your own business, isn't That first night I was here at the club was the first time in over six months that I left my home. Dean goggles at Castiel, a little unsure of what to say next. Thankfully, Ash chooses that moment to pop his head inside the door. Hey, uh, Tyler, there ain't no more customers for the night, so you want me to stick around here? I mean, I don't mind if you need me, except there's this card game about to start up and back, and I got this new trick I want to try on Victor to piss him off and... Yeah, Ash, you can go ahead and take off. We're fine in here. Have a good one, man. Yeah, yeah, you too, compadre. Ash salutes Dean and turns to leave, slamming the door behind him. Dean glances back at Castiel, but the man seems determined to look at everything but him. So, uh, six months, huh? Does that qualify as... Wait, what's the term? Agrophobia? Castiel slumps a little more. Agoraphobia, actually. And yes, it does qualify as that, I suppose. But really, for me at least, it's just a symptom of a bigger issue. Dean waits to see if the man is going to continue, but when it doesn't seem likely, he prompts him for more. And what bigger issue would that be? Castiel sits still, biting his lower lip, hands folded between his thighs as if they need warmth. Dean realizes that the man is probably cold, considering his clothes must still be quite damp from the rain, but he stops himself from offering to find him a blanket. He can tell Castiel is working through something in his head, and he doesn't want to break the silence for fear of interrupting whatever it is. He begins to think the man isn't planning on answering him when he hears a whisper, just barely above the din of the loud music down the hall. When I was ten years old, my mother took me out to see a movie. It was my birthday, and she wanted it to be just the two of us. I was always the odd one out. The others, they were all so boisterous and outgoing, and I was always so quiet, and much rather wanted to be inside and reading. It was easy for me to get overlooked and forgotten. So she wanted it to be special for me, she said. He continues to stare at the floor, and Dean inches his chair forward a tiny bit so that he can hear the other man better. It was past my bedtime when we got out. It was a treat. You see, the late night. It was dark. We were walking back to the car. It was two streets over. And it was quiet. It was an old movie. Hardly anyone was at the theater. The Wizard of Oz. It was our favorite. Castiel's tone is dull and mechanical, and he blinks so slowly it seems like he's calm, but Dean can see the hand he has on his thighs are rigid, the knuckles popping up as he keeps talking. There were two men. We didn't think anything of it. But one of them had a gun, and he shouted at us, demanding my mother's purse. She handed it to them quickly. She didn't struggle or scream at all. But when the man pointed the gun at me and asked if I had a wallet, she panicked. She started shouting. She pulled me back behind her. I had never heard her shout before. She never shouted at us. Never. And the gun went off. I don't even think he meant to shoot anyone. But I guess we'll never know for sure. Dean remains completely still, holding his breath as Castiel continues, 
his voice still absent and without any inflection. She died there. My mother died there, in my arms. It didn't take long. I tried so hard to make the blood stop flowing. There was just so much of it. It was too much. I never knew how much there was. Seven percent of the body. Five to eight pints in a woman. A woman like my mom. Dean wants to get up, run out of the room, stop listening to these words. It's a horrifying story, and it hits too close to home. But of course, Castiel doesn't know that. Dean rubs his eyes and tries to get a grip. Cass isn't even crying as he's reciting the story. He's just staring at the floor, a numbed look on his face. I develop post-traumatic stress disorder afterwards. My father should have put me in therapy. Everyone told him to. The doctor, our extended family, even his friends. But he wouldn't listen. He said head shrinks are for the weak, and that all I needed was some toughening up. He sent me off to boarding school to do that as well as to get me out of the way, so that he didn't have to deal with me himself anymore, I'm sure. Part of me always assumed that he blamed me for what happened, which isn't a surprise. How could I be surprised when I always blamed myself? A wry smile twists across his face. I suppose boarding school did toughen me up. It taught me how to ignore the ridicule and taunting by my fellow classmates, how to withstand their cruelty. It taught me not to be ashamed to be different, and taught me how to put on a brave front and pretend nothing was wrong, even while I felt like I was dying inside. Dean hears himself whisper, You still feel that way. Castiel looks up at him, nods just slightly. The older I got, the more difficult it became to leave home, no matter if home was a dorm room or my family home. Each day became a struggle to walk out the door. I found the only way to make it easier on myself was to plan every step of the way while I was out. Plan for every possible occurrence. If I knew how to react to different stimuli and circumstances, then nothing could take me by surprise. Nothing could happen that was out of my control. But even with planning, each year became more and more difficult. I didn't understand then what was wrong with me, but of course I do now, since I have received therapy as an adult. My PTSD was finally gaining control of my actions, finally taking over my life and forcing me to deal with it. Castiel laughs bitterly as he continues. My father, through it all, still refused to acknowledge it, and kept insisting that I join the family business. I could have never followed in my father's footsteps. That path held nothing but misery for me. I pleaded with him to let me forge my own life, but he threatened to cut me off from my trust fund if I didn't go to college. I relented, even went so far as to major in international finance with a minor in creative writing. He promised me that if I stayed in college, maintained a high GPA, and got my degree, he would allow me to do whatever I wanted with my life and would never cut me off my trust fund. I knew that he held all the straws. There was no way I could have survived on my own at that point. I could have never found a job to support myself in my mental and emotional condition. Dean watches, 
transfixed as Castiel's mouth forms a sly smile. But my father didn't say what college I had to attend, or even that I had to attend. After my freshman year, I transferred to an online college, and within two more years, I received my bachelor's degree with honors. My father was furious, but he agreed to keep his promise, and that was the last time I'd spoken to him. Until today. Castiel huffs. Yes, until today. He called me because my brother, Gabriel, informed him that I'd ventured out of my home a few times over the past few weeks. My father jumped at the chance to call me and congratulate me, and then went on to try to persuade me to come join him and my brother Michael at the company. When I refused, and I reminded him that I have a successful career already, he became angry with me once again. Castiel shrugs. I suppose it's a dance we're destined to repeat over and over again. But what upset me the most was what he said before I hung up on him. He said if my mother were alive today, she'd be disappointed in me, and how afraid I am of life. Castiel closes his eyes. The room is silent, the noise from the club down the hall having lessened to a quiet buzz in the background. That's bullshit, Dean spits out, his sudden words making Cass jump and open his eyes to stare at him. Sounds to me like the only person she'd be disappointed in is your fucking douchebag dad. Dean is shocked by the vehemence behind his own words. But to hear what kind of horrible experiences this dude has been through and to see how damaged he's been by it all, and to find out what a shit his dad has been to him through all of it, just makes him see red and want to punch the shit out of somebody. Your dad should have been there for you, Cass. You were his responsibility. Or fuck responsibility, you were his child. He should have done whatever it took to make you feel better, and to make you realize it wasn't your fault. A lot of times, shit happens to good people, but a ten-year-old can't be expected to understand that. He finds that he's stabbing the air to ram his point home. Your dad should have. And if he wasn't there propping up his kid through all that, that's on him, not you. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. Castiel continues to stare at him, his mouth slightly open and eyes unblinking. Dean has an almost overwhelming urge to tip his chair forward just enough to kiss the man, See how shocked he'd look then, but it's not allowed, and Dean knows better than to open up that can of worms. You're a writer, and it sounds like you're a decent one at that, he declares instead. Now, I didn't know your mom, but I think pretty much all moms would be proud of their kid being successful at something they love. You have nothing to be ashamed of, Cass. You're doing the best you can, and that's all anybody can ask of themselves. But this thing with your dad... Maybe you need to cut that loose. Dean is all too aware of how hilarious it is for him to be giving advice like this to someone else. This kind of advice is shit that he's had Bobby and various state counselors feeding him for he doesn't even know how long. He knows how easy it is to dish it out, but it's not so easy to swallow it down himself. Or, I don't know, he qualifies clumsily. It's not like I'm a head shrink, but... By the end of the day, it's up to you how much you let the guy get to you, isn't it? Their eyes lock for several moments before Castiel smiles slightly and looks away. They both seem comfortable to sit in companionable silence for a while then, 
so long that Dean rests his chin on his arm and closes his eyes. It's been a while since he's been with someone who he's relaxed enough with to let his guard down like that, especially someone he's just met. He slowly opens his eyes when he hears a yawn erupt from Castiel. The man is looking at him sheepishly. I suppose I should be leaving for home. Yeah, I think it's about that time for me, too, Dean says. Castiel stands abruptly, leaving Dean almost with a feeling of whiplash as he watches the man move. He holds his hand in front of him awkwardly, and it takes Dean a second to realize that he's offering a handshake. I doubt that I could find the words to adequately express how much comfort unburdening myself to you has brought me this evening, but I do appreciate you listening to me. Dean can feel his face break into a grin as he reaches forward, grasping the man's hand between his own. Don't mention it, Cass. This room provides a type of therapy, too, you know. We just happen to go with the more conventional kind tonight. They hold the handshake for several seconds too long, staring at each other once again. As Castiel begins to pull his hand away, he glances down, catching the sight of the abrasions on Dean's knuckles from his earlier run-in with the locker. What happened to your hand? He asks, thumb grazing lightly across the knuckle, making the hair stand up along the back of Dean's neck from the sensation. Dean chuckles and pulls his hand away, trying to cover up the fact that he fucking shivered just from the other man's touch. Oh, that's a story for another time, but if it makes you feel any better, my day was pretty shitty too. He smiles and stands up, starts walking Castiel to the door. I'm sorry to hear that. Would you like to talk about it as well? After a quick head shake, Dean says, Nah. To be honest, I think sitting down and relaxing and listening to you helped make me feel better, too. So in a way, you already helped. He pulls the door open, turns to say his final goodbye to the man. Castiel is gazing at him with those baby blues. Well, again, thank you very much. I feel as if a substantial weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I hope the rest of your night fares better, Tyler. Dean spares a moment to feel guilty for the fake name, but doesn't let himself dwell on it. Rules are rules. Yeah, you too, Cass. Good night. He rubs the man's back as he walks through the doorway, turning to watch him walk down the hall. As he closes the door behind him and begins to straighten up the room so he can go home, he realizes that the funny thing is, he actually does feel a little better. Chapter 4 The following week, Castiel finds himself busy with not one, but two potential books to write, Tyler's suggestions having opened the floodgates in his brain, demolishing the wall that had been blocking him for months far more effectively than any bulldozer could have. Once he has soothed Pamela's panic over the change in direction for the Angel series, he begins outlining the next book in earnest. But as excited as he is about it, his mind still can't help but wander to potential topics for his other book, 
He wants to step out of his comfort zone, give this story the warmth and sincerity he believes it deserves. He wants to take a more personal perspective, but he's not quite sure how to go about it. He wants to find out more about Tyler, discover how and why he got into this business, but he doesn't want to pry. Just because the man listened to Castiel's problems and life story doesn't mean he'd be willing to share the same. Castiel doesn't want to make this story about Tyler, but to deny how much of an influence the man and his life have on it would be denying the whole point of the story. It will be a fine line between writing a truthful, sincere, and compelling tale that's inspired by Tyler, but not invading the man's rights and privacy by making the story actually about him. Castiel smiles as he remembers how passionate Tyler was, insisting that Castiel's father was a douchebag. Hearing such a fresh and frank perspective on his relationship with his father made Castiel feel as if a tiny piece in the puzzle of his life had slotted into place. He pulls open his desk drawer, roots about for the photograph he knows is in there, stares into the pale blue eyes of the man in the picture, a man from whom he inherited his own desire for perfection and control the man whose employees not so jokingly refer to as God. We called you God, too, he murmurs as he recalls his father's looming presence in his as well as his siblings' lives, tracking school progress reports and extracurricular activities as if they were employees performing their jobs. I can't control you, he continues softly. I can't make you love me. I can't make you accept me for who I am. And I can't make you forgive me for asking Mom to take me to the movies that night. He smiles then, because Tyler was right. What he can control is how he reacts to his father. Just because you won't forgive me doesn't mean I can't forgive me, he says, because I was just a little boy wanting to spend time with his mom, and I had no way of knowing what would happen and no way to change it. The man in the picture continues to glare austerely out through the glass. Castiel sets it on the desk. Why don't you watch me be what I want to be, instead of what you want me to be? He tells the man. He leans back in his chair, rolls his shoulders to work out the kinks, ponders that what Tyler said to him is really true, that what goes on in the VIP room really can be a form of therapy. For all its costumes and role-playing and money exchanged, when you lay your desires bare like that, you become vulnerable, opening yourself up to self-revelation. And with that thought, Castia realizes he just may have come up with his hook for the story. It takes every ounce of willpower Castiel has to wait until the following Friday to return to the club. It comes as no small and pleasing bit of surprise to realize that he wants to see Tyler more than he's afraid to venture out in public. He's aware that his feelings for the dancer are most likely becoming too strong for what is, essentially, a business relationship, albeit an unconventional one. This transaction is based on desire and fulfilling one's sexual fantasies, 
but it is also one based on the exchange of money. It's a fine line that keeps getting more blurred each time he thinks about the other man, though. Once at the club, Castiel waits until Chuck has taken his drink order, before approaching Gordon, who's already stationed outside the VIP rooms. Looks like someone's an eager beaver this evening, Gordon says, eyeing Castiel up and down. Yes, well, I just wanted to go ahead and get this out of the way, given your penchant for taking your time while walking me through your rules, Castiel replies icily. Gordon narrows his eyes. Well, I guess now you've reached creeper-stalker status, you can have the abbreviated version. The dance is in charge. You touch, you die. How's that for you? Perfect, Castiel clips back. I'll return a few minutes after Tyler completes his routine on stage to prevent us from having to be around each other too much. I wouldn't want you to strain a muscle trying to intimidate me. Castiel can't resist shooting the man a smug glare as he sees the effect of his words before turning and walking back to his table. He doesn't doubt that Gordon isn't used to people not being cowed by his looming alpha male attitude. It'll do him good to be knocked down a peg or two. Tyler's routine that evening is that of a businessman, complete with tie and briefcase. Between the tight-fitting button-down white shirt and the wire-rimmed glasses that he tosses away halfway through the routine, Castiel is already half-hard. Tyler has been in his thoughts almost constantly since his last visit, in his thoughts, his dreams, and his fantasies. Castiel has never understood the term falling in love. He couldn't grasp exactly what about the process of developing romantic feelings for someone was similar to falling until now. Now, he gets it, because he feels he has been falling since the moment he first laid eyes on Tyler. Falling with no sense of where it's taking him. Falling without a parachute, without a lifeline, and without any way of finding his way back up. Every time he sees the other man, he's just a little bit further gone. And the scariest thing of all is that Castiel isn't scared. For the first time in his life, he doesn't know what happens next, and it's exhilarating. After Tyler's routine, Castiel waits for him in the VIP room, and even though he's excited to see Tyler again, to talk to him and be near him, at this point his nervousness has taken control. He fears it may be awkward after his last visit, and hopes that the strangeness of the events of last week won't bring tension to their meeting tonight. He takes a seat in the leather chair, leaning back against the cushion, gripping the arms and attempting to relax. He closes his eyes and begins to count backwards to relieve some of his anxiety. But before he gets to 15, he hears the door open. He watches as Tyler's eyes roam the room quickly before settling on him. A warm smile erupts across Tyler's face. Hey, Cass, I was hoping I'd see you tonight. Castiel feels the butterflies in his stomach do an especially frantic flutter at this news, and he can't help but smile in return. It may be just something to say to customers to make them more relaxed and keep them coming back, but it warms Castiel's heart all the same. So I didn't make you uncomfortable last week by burdening you with my troubles, he ventures. Tyler huffs, seemingly amused. Nah, I kind of liked learning more about you. 
How's things been for you? Did the week get better? Yes, no small thanks to you. My writer's block seems to have dissipated, so I've had a very busy week of writing. Tyler nods as he walks to the stereo to plug in his iPod. Good. I was kind of wondering how you were doing this week. Castiel is a bit alarmed at how pleased he is to hear that Tyler was thinking of him. But he puts the thought out of his mind. He's about to thank him once again for the advice last week. But before he can speak, Tyler looks back over his shoulder. So, uh, am I dancing tonight, or do you want to talk some more? You can dance, if you don't mind, of course, Castiel replies. He's relieved that Tyler has broached the subject with ease, but still feels uneasy requesting that they return to what's expected of the private dance experience after their talk last week. He enjoys Tyler's routines. He more than enjoys them, or he wouldn't keep returning. But he's also a little disappointed that they can't have a bonding experience like before, that this will go back to being like any of Tyler's other private dances. Tyler laughs at that. Dude, I don't mind. It's what I'm here for. You got anything in particular you wanted to see? He asks, winking. Castiel can feel himself blushing, despite the fact that he's not a 12-year-old girl. No, just whatever you prefer will be fine. Tyler chooses a fast-paced, hard rock song, which isn't a surprise to Castiel, given his previous choices in music. Castiel watches him, once again mesmerized not by intricate dance moves, but by the spirit and grace behind them. Tyler never loses the connection with Castiel, maintaining eye contact when he can, and when he can't, his body is always drawn towards Castiel, as if there's a line between them, binding them together. He rips his pants off quickly, but the song ends before he is able to remove his shirt. He pads over to his iPod in bare feet, his back to Castiel as he chooses the next song, when Castiel opens his mouth and speaks without thinking. Would you, um, I mean, I think I'd like... He lets his words fade into the air between them, watching as Tyler's back tenses and stills, waiting. The man turns around slowly and stares at Castiel, waiting for him to finish. I think I'd like a lap dance, if you wouldn't mind. I mean, if you'd like. Tyler stares at him for a few seconds longer before a slow smirk spreads across his face. Why, Cass, I thought you'd never ask. He turns his back again, and Castiel can hear him clicking through the songs on his iPod while he fidgets in his chair and wonders how the hell he will manage to get through this experience. It's one thing to work up the courage to sit in this room and watch someone dance for you, but another thing entirely to have them in your lap. Castiel isn't a virgin, but he's not experienced by any means. And it's been years since he's been intimate with someone, so the thought of having this man that he's fantasized about daily and nightly for weeks mostly naked in his lap is, quite frankly, terrifying and he doubts he's ever wanted anything more in his life. He watches as Tyler settles on a song and turns to face him, catching his eyes and staring at him as he glides towards Castiel. They maintain eye contact as the music starts with a man moaning over the speakers, I can't quit you, babe. 
a slow, seductive crawl of sound thrumming from the speakers, matching Tyler's slow, predatory crawl towards Castiel. He stops at Castiel's feet, standing between his knees and murmurs, Scoot down a bit. Castiel does as he's told, holding onto the arms of the chair, opening his legs wider to make room for Tyler between them. Tyler leans over, placing both hands along the back of the chair, one on each side of Castiel's neck, and slowly slides his body down and along Castiel's as he straddles Castiel's hips. The move is a tantalizing glide, first rubbing Tyler's crotch in Castiel's face, then his hip bones and his stomach. And as he slides, his shirt rides up, giving Castiel's lips unexpected access to the heat of Tyler's skin. He doesn't lick, though he thinks he may have made a deal with the devil for the strength to keep from tasting. But everything's so fuzzy at this point, he's not sure. All he knows is that he didn't break any rules of the room, because Tyler is still moving, still sliding down until he settled in Castiel's lap, his ass snug against Castiel's quickly hardening dick. Tyler rubs his cheek against Castiel's, stubble against stubble in a delicious scrape and burn. He rolls his hips slowly in time with the beat of the song, rubbing his thong-covered dick along Castiel's stomach and cushioning Castiel's erection between his butt cheeks. Castiel thinks God or whoever else is responsible for him remembering to make use of the towel that the club provides, because he fears tonight will be the night where he will most definitely need something to make cleanup easier. Castiel lays his head back against the couch, eyes closed as Tyler writhes in his lap. He can feel Tyler lean back, and after a few seconds, he hears Tyler whisper his name. He opens his eyes to find Tyler staring at him, watching as the man licks his lips, tongue peeking out to slide across and leave a wet trail behind. A moan escapes Castiel's lips, and he'd be embarrassed, except that it made Tyler smile that same warm smile that he's so fond of. And that smile is worth just about any embarrassment the world can come up with. As they continue to stare at each other, Tyler reaches for his collar and rips his shirt open, snap buttons giving away easily and exposing tan flesh underneath. Castiel's fingers flex, itching to map out the freckles peppering Tyler's skin. To touch the expanse of muscle, to feel those muscles ripple as he glides his hands along Tyler's back, but he grips the chair tighter instead. Tyler pulls his arms the rest of the way out of the shirt and throws it on the couch next to them. He bites his lip as he leans forward once again, pressing his bare chest against Castiel. His mouth brushes against Castiel's neck, almost mouthing the juncture between neck and shoulder, sending shivers down Castiel's spine and eliciting another moan from him. Tyler, he groans. Oh, God, Tyler, yes. Tyler presses impossibly closer, his body rolling in waves up and down the length of Castiel's body, hips slowly gyrating with the music. With each pass, the crack of his ass presses harder and tighter against Castiel's cock, 
and it feels so delicious it almost hurts. Castiel tries not to buck his hips, tries not to lose control, but the longer this keeps up, the more difficult it becomes. As Tyler shifts and changes positions, it causes his groin to rub more against Castiel's stomach, and Castiel is shocked to realize that Tyler has an erection too. The new position brings Tyler's mouth against Castiel's ear. Hot, wet puffs of air tease along the shell, and every few seconds Castiel can feel Tyler's lips ghosting along his skin. He turns his head, scritching his stubble-burned cheek along Tyler's and bringing his mouth up to Tyler's ear. Tyler, he whispers wetly. He whispers his name over and over, taking satisfaction in the way Tyler is pressing his erection closer, seemingly desperate for friction against Castiel's body. Castiel feels Tyler move his hand between them and looks down to see him pulling his erection from the G-string. His cock is thick and hard, the crown glistening with wetness. Tyler pulls back just enough so he can look Castiel in the eye, gaze dark as he asks, Is this okay with you? Castiel stares at him, brain not quite able to focus on why this is even a question, as his hips buck involuntarily. Tyler closes his eyes and groans, rubbing his ass against Castiel's cock, where it lies still trapped in his pants. Yes, this is good, Castiel croaks. He bites his lip and watches for Tyler's reaction as he bucks his hips again, this time completely on purpose. Tyler's eyes roll back and his eyelashes flutter as he squirms to feel Castiel's cock thrust against his crack and Castiel suddenly feels an alarming hatred for G-strings, wishing with everything he had that that line of fabric was not between the head of his cock and Tyler's rim. Tyler leans forward as if he's going to kiss Castiel, but instead he stops right before their lips touch. His eyes are open, and he's panting heavily as he rocks his hips back and forth. They stare at each other breathing in each other's hot, wet exhales. Castiel licks his lips, and Tyler focuses on the movement of Castiel's tongue, whimpering when it slinks back into his mouth. Fuck, Cass, he groans. Tyler, yes, oh, Tyler, Castiel whispers. He watches as Tyler squeezes his eyes shut and moves to hide his face along Castiel's ear again. Castiel can feel sweat trickling down his neck and along his spine. The proximity of their bodies and their writhing together making it impossibly, unbearably hot. His hands are slippery against the leather of the armrests, and yet he keeps gripping them as tightly as he can in a vain attempt to remain in control. The last thing he wants is to do something to break the rules and ruin the moment in this situation. He moves his mouth to whisper Tyler's name in his ear again, to whisper encouragement and let him know how good it feels, but is surprised when Tyler grunts and pulls away. Castiel stares up. Did I do something wrong? Tyler squeezes his eyes shut again and shakes his head. Castiel watches as he chews on his lip before leaning forward, mouth not even an inch away from Castiel's as he breathes. 
Call me Dean. Castiel knits his eyebrows together in confusion. What? Call me Dean. It's my real name. I... I need to hear you say it. He closes his eyes then and presses ever closer against Castiel, sliding his cock along Castiel's waistband. Please, Cass. He pleads, hot breath sneaking its way into Castiel's open mouth and teasing his tongue. Castiel waits for Dean to open his eyes before murmuring, voice deep and gravelly, Dean. Dean moans, eyes squeezing shut as he gyrates and pushes against Castiel's cock. Yeah, Cass, just like that. Dean, oh, Dean, yes, Dean, Dean. Castiel moans the name over and over, whispering it against Dean's neck as his writhing speeds up and becomes frantic. Fuck, Cass. Dean breathes against his neck and Castiel comes with a choked-out cry he barely stifles when he feels Dean's tongue lick along the shell of his ear. Dean continues rubbing his ass along the length of Castiel's erection, working him through his orgasm. As Castiel's breathing slows down, Dean begins to slow his thrusts against Castiel's stomach, but Castiel leans forward to whisper in his ear, Don't stop. Dean grunts, shaking his head no, but he doesn't stop his movements along Castiel's body. Castiel opens his eyes to stare at the man in his lap. Dean has his eyes squeezed shut, his lips parted and wet, and his breath is shallow and hot. Castiel can see the desperate fight for control that Dean seems to be waging with himself. And God help him, he wants to be witness to Dean losing the battle. Castiel inches forward just enough for his lips to tease along Dean's ear and whispers, Please, come for me, Dean. Dean cries out, tensing his body and biting at Castiel's shoulder as he releases himself over Castiel's shirt. He continues to thrust weakly for several seconds until he is spent, and he nuzzles his head into the crook of Castiel's neck, turning his face away to stare at the wall as he regains control of his breathing. Castiel's arms twitch, wanting to wrap around the man in his lap and pull him closer, but he minds the rules of the room and keeps his hands to himself. A couple of minutes later, Dean begins to stir, pulling himself away and off of Castiel. Castiel sees him grimace as he looks down at Castiel's shirt, sticky with cum, but he doesn't say anything. He steps over to the cabinets, pulling out a towel and throwing it at Cass as he uses another one to wipe himself off. Sorry about the mess, man, Dean says without looking at him. Castiel uses the towel that was tossed to him to wipe off the stains from his shirt as best as he can, before using the towel tucked in his zipper to clear off his own cum from his pants. He's completely unsuccessful at hiding either cluster of splotches and casts his eyes over to where he threw his trench coat. It'll hide the worst of their transgressions. And Castiel smiles to himself as he imagines using this occasion to shut Gabriel up for the next time he complains about the creeper coat. So, uh, you should probably be heading on out so I can get ready for the next client, Dean says from across the room. 
Castiel can feel his eyebrows spike with surprise. Oh, yes, of, of course. He manages to mumble as he turns for his coat. He's not sure how he'd expected this moment to end, but this abruptness is less than he'd hoped for. He doesn't know what's changed from one moment to the next, but whatever it is, it isn't good, he fears. He pulls his coat on, watching as Dean buttons up his shirt and avoids making eye contact. Castiel stands still for a moment, hands hanging loose by his sides, as he stares at the man in front of him, who was so open to him only moments ago, but who is now more closed off than any stranger could be. So, maybe it all was just a business transaction again. Well, thanks for the lovely, uh, time, Castiel mumbles, and steals himself for a brush-off, a generic comeback soon, or some other farewell. He's shocked when Dean steps forward into his personal space, standing mere inches away as he gazes at Castiel, eyes wide and green and unfathomable. Don't be a stranger, Cass, Dean murmurs, almost as if he'd read Castiel's mind. He pauses long enough to wink at Castiel, placing his palm on his shoulder and squeezing, before turning away and walking to the door. Castiel smiles at Dean as he walks by him and out the door, steadfastly ignoring Gordon leaning against the wall opposite the doorway. Later that night, Castiel realizes he doesn't even remember his journey home. He was too distracted thinking about Dean's eyes and the warm press of his hand along his back as he said goodbye. Surprise!
Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.